Can we pray together? Father, it is in this season of life that we need your son more than ever. In this moment, will you remind each of us how powerful those names given to you, Jesus, are? Will you remind us that you are Emmanuel, God with us right now? Will you remind us that you are our wonderful counselor? Will you remind us that you are mighty God, our everlasting Father? And Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. May we as your children embrace your names right now. In that great name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Aren't you glad that you are in church today and that you as our online family have taken a moment to tune in and be a part of our first Christmas celebration of December. Merry Christmas. Boy, I tell you, as you look around, uh, there's something about Christmas that brings hope, that brings life, um, the lights, the feeling, the joy. And in spite of what maybe you're going through, there is this reminder that I believe over this month we need to embrace. I, I recognize that there are seasons of life and they are challenging and difficult. We've lived through some of those um, in the world. But I also recognize that there are some of you that have lived through them personally also. There are personal battles and challenges and, and moments that we walk through as people. And I couldn't think of a better time than this month to recognize this one very important principle for all of our lives. Our Heavenly Father is always redeeming the time. Always. He's always taking the circumstances, the moments, the years of our lives, the days, and He's always redeeming them. He's always turning them into something good. The Christmas story, if you really look at it, and we're going to do that over the next few weeks, if you break down the Christmas story, here's what you really see. Now, we, we embrace it as Christians today. We embrace the season of life, and we embrace that moment when Christ was born, and we, we experience today all of what it meant for Jesus to be born as the Savior of the world, as our personal Lord and Savior. But if you lived in the times of the Bible that we're going to read about right now or in the times of Jesus' birth that we're going to look at a little bit later in this series, what you're going to realize is that the people then, when the message of hope and life was spoken, the people then were living in very hard, difficult times. They were not living in the land of plenty, the land of prosperity. They were living in very challenging, both national and also, yes, very deep, challenging personal times. That's the whole backdrop of the Christmas story when you look at it, both from the Old Testament that we'll look at today from Isaiah chapter 9, and also from the New Testament as we look ahead in a few weeks. This morning, though, as we kind of go to the first 
one of those chapters that you would recognize if you've been in church and you've heard scripture read or song sung. We're going to go and we're going to look at, um, just like Ella sang, the names given to Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9. Grab your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 9. And as we look together at this passage, this prophecy that was given more than 700 years before Christ was born. 700 years before Christ was born. This was a prophecy that was given. And this prophecy was spoken into a time of great challenge for God's people. They were dealing with national challenges. And yeah, quite frankly, they were dealing with deep personal challenges because of what was going on in their world. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah speaks this prophecy. And this prophecy is spoken and it still resonates today. This is what the Bible says, Isaiah 9, chapter 2, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. The Bible says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Already you can see a, a deep connection to where people live and where people walk. Perhaps where you've been living and where you've been walking. You see a deep connection because there is this moment of life where many of us will walk through seasons that are challenging, that are dark. And yet the people there are not the people who are forgotten by God. Those are the people whom God truly tries to reach and tries to remind them of some really good things about who he is and what he's going to do. The people who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. That's a promise. The light will shine on you. You will multiply the nation. You will increase their joy. That's good, right? You will rejoice. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest, as the people rejoice when they divide the spoils, because you, for you, will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. So again, you're, you're sensing that the people are under this this level of oppression, darkness, challenge, and, and the promise that God gives to them is, I'm going to break through this oppression. I'm going to shine into this darkness. How? Verse 6. And this is the promise. This is what we cling to today, as we even heard sung just a moment ago. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies. He will accomplish this. This is a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9. And, and when we think of Christmas, we know that prophecy. When we think of the birth of Jesus, we know that prophecy. That prophecy. And today, um, there are four names that were given to the Savior 
that I want us to be able to key in on. Because perhaps as you walk into this season of Christmas this year, and you're asking God, God, how are you redeeming the time? Or God, how can you be redeeming the time right now in my life? There's a need to embrace one of these four names, perhaps given to the Savior. The life lesson today is this, as we look at this passage and this prophecy. The names of Christ in this passage references very clearly Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, sent to rescue his people. The names of Christ, they remind us that God is always, always, always redeeming the time. It doesn't matter what valley you may walk through, what moment of darkness or land that you may be living in. It doesn't matter the oppression or the sense of discouragement that you may be sensing in your life over a multitude of issues that come at your situation, your life, your home, your job, whatever it may be, your health. It doesn't matter what those are. The names of Jesus, the names given to Jesus that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus would enter the earth, these names remind us that God is always redeeming the time. And irregardless of what you feel or what you've been through or what challenges that you've had to face directly and overcome, that is a result of the wonderful, mighty God redeeming your life, redeeming the days, the minutes, the hours, the seasons of your life. God is always, for his children, and for those who trust him, he's always redeeming the time. Have you ever had your plans not work out? Have you ever been deeply disappointed in people? Deeply disappointed in your circumstances, the way that you thought it would go and it didn't go that way. Have you been disappointed in yourself, perhaps discouraged in yourself? And, and maybe you take it out on other people, but the root of the disappointment is within. And so you've been discouraged or down on yourself. Yeah, You see, there are realities to life. And when we get lost in those moments, we get lost in a season of time of negativity, discouragement, depression, darkness. And we can get lost in that moment. And when we're in that moment, here's what we don't see, the other side. We don't see the light and we don't see life for what it is. We question perhaps our own existence or our purpose or what God's doing. And all of that begins to happen in these seasons of life where you just cannot see the light that's going to shine into the darkness. But that never, ever means that God is not at work. It just means that maybe we don't see it. Maybe we don't know it. Maybe we're asking genuinely through prayer, God, reveal yourself to me. God, I want to see you at work. God, I want to know that you're present. But we feel like our prayers perhaps hit a ceiling, hit a wall. And so we assume incorrectly that he's not there, that he's not working. But God is always, always working to redeem the very moments in which we live. He's always been doing that. And the names given to the Savior remind us that God is always redeeming the time. I find that in my own life, and perhaps even in your lives as Christians, that we go through seasons of discouragement, doubt, darkness. 
We go through seasons where we question people unnecessarily, where we get extremely negative. And the story of Christmas turns all of that around. The story of a Savior being born redeems the whole existence of life. It's why we like to see lights around this season, why we like to sing those songs that reflect the majesty and the glory of God. Because there's something about Christmas that reminds us God is redeeming the time. And these names given to Jesus are a great reminder of that. See, God's people in history in this season of life, when this was spoken, this prophecy meant one thing, but it means something totally different to you and I today. You see, they were living under oppression. They were dealing with an invasion from a country named Assyria. They were also dealing back in that generation with the oppression of the nation of Egypt. And they did not know what was going to happen to them. They were a poor nation at this point. All of them, the whole lot of them, were dealing with this kind of oppression. We'll dig more into that next week. But that's kind of a general backdrop to Isaiah and what Isaiah says to them. And therefore, when this word of hope comes, Isaiah the prophet delivering this word of hope, what do you think they naturally thought when he says there is a child that's going to be born, a son that will be given? And here are the names that's given to him, and this is what he will do. What do you think they naturally thought? They naturally thought the same thing that you and I naturally thought. Oh, good. God, you're going to help me out right now. God, you're going to deliver a king and a ruler right now. Someone right now that can fix our country, that can set us straight. Someone that can deal with our enemies and bring justice to the world. It's immediately what they thought. How do we know that? You do the same. When you're in a moment of crisis, what do you want? You want somebody to fix your problem right now, don't you? Every time. And so we vent and we share and we overshare and we give all this. Because what do we think? God, you're going to bring a solution right now. And that's what these people thought right then. <laughs> but God's way of redeeming the time is so great, so much better than just dealing with a perspective that we don't fully understand. You see, I know that when you look at it, and several Hebrew scholars have broken this passage apart, who is Isaiah talking about? Is Isaiah talking about someone that would be born right then? And when we look next week at another prophecy that Isaiah had given, that's probably what was going on. They were probably thinking, a ruler is going to be born that's going to save the nation of Israel today from Egypt and from Assyria and from our economic problems and from our personal problems. And gosh, that's really limiting God. That's really minimizing why we have been redeemed. You see, when this passage unfolds, the names given to this Savior are important. They actually are exalted titles. I mean, think about it. If a child was going to be born, would you name your child counselor? <laughs> well, there's, there's a word for counselor, um, and that wouldn't have been odd. But to name him wonderful counselor means that this is someone that's born that's exceptional, that's not like everyone else. Um, would you name your child God? <laughs> You wouldn't do that, right? Because um, in a good Hebrew home, you know that to 
name someone else or call someone else God is blasphemy against God. And you would run the risk of being struck down, excommunicated. So already the names given to this one to be born are beyond humanity. Would you name your child Everlasting Father? No. What about Prince of Peace? You see, these names given to the Messiah to be born were way more about God redeeming something greater than the immediate. Something more substantive than a simple problem. The names given to the Messiah were a revelation of what God was going to do for his children. Something that would last beyond just a moment and a feeling, but something that would redeem their time forever. And these names are important. Let's look at them this morning. Four exalted titles. These titles given to this child to be born, they reflect the presence of God in history. They reflect God's plan geographically. They reflect God's plan for humanity. And they reflect God's redemption of time for all of eternity. These names are very important when you think about it, when you hear them sung, when you read this passage, and when you celebrate Christmas. These names remind us even today that God is always, always on our side as his children, redeeming the time. The first one, Isaiah says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. This name emphasizes the humanity of the Messiah. Wonderful Counselor. I mean, think about it. A counselor. Someone that you can talk with and you can share things with. And they can help you process and work through things in your life. A counselor. Um, some of you, that is your profession. And you do a wonderful job of helping others. Um, some of us go through seasons of life where we need that. And so we talk with a counselor because we're trying to work through items in our lives. And there is a difference between a good counselor and a bad counselor, right? There's also a difference between a good counselor and a wonderful counselor. And this word wonderful, it actually has a very significant meaning to it in Hebrew. The word Wonderful means supernatural, not natural, supernatural, not normal, but above normal. The wonderful counselor given to the Messiah, the name given to the Savior to be born, the one who would rescue his people, he is a supernatural counselor. In other words, he's personal enough that you can talk with, that he can give you wisdom, and yet what he offers and gives you is not normal. It's not natural. It's not of humanity's close like a friend, like a counselor, and yet the wisdom that he gives is life-giving and it is eternal in nature. So what this Messiah would end up saying, speaking to the people of God who would listen would not be just a matter of opinion or a matter of study or a matter of being degreed or having experience. What this counselor would say would be God's words to God's people. It wasn't normal counseling. You didn't have to pay 250 an hour to get it. 
He would be close enough to care about his people personally, individually. And yet, what he would offer to you as a child of God would be priceless. He's the wonderful counselor. That's who the Messiah would be. That's how close he would be as a savior to those who would trust him and follow him. And yet what he would say would not be a matter of opinion. Hey, go try this and see if it works out. Or, hey, I read this in a book and I hope that fixes. Go give it a try and then let's, if that doesn't work, come back and see me. Let's do something else. It wasn't like that. This was redeeming, saving friendship of the humanity of the Savior saying to you exactly what would need to be said to redeem your life. Wonderful counselor. The beautiful thing about the supernatural nature of the Savior, wonderful, meaning supernatural, there are some things that are important about that. Number one, you don't have to book to get on his schedule. He's always present. You don't have to pick up the phone, send an email, send a text, Send a message and wait for a response. The wonderful counselor is always present. You can always talk and you can always listen. Always. That type of counselor cared enough about his people that he was always there. That type of wonderful counselor always has an answer. Sometimes I don't have an answer as a pastor. Matter of fact, there are a lot of times where I've realized as a pastor... I just can't fix it. I can't make it better. <laughs> I can't help some people because the issues that they're battling through, I really don't have a good human answer to. But Jesus does. I mean, I, <laughs> I get it all the time. Hey, pastor, fix this. Or what do you think about this? And, and what does God say about this? Yeah, and, and sometimes I realize you just can't fix that. <laughs> but God can. If you will let God fix that attitude, if you will let God fix that circumstance, if you will listen to what the Lord says about that circumstance, he can fix it. But if your answers are found in yourself or in someone else, it'll never add up. It doesn't go the right direction. The math does not equal the solution that we need as people when we don't go to the one who can fix it, that's always present and always has the right answer. Who is he? The wonderful counselor. He's always helpful. There's never a moment when the Messiah would not be helpful for his people. I mean, there are times where we get advice and it's just not helpful. There are times where we express what we think and we express that about someone else or to someone else. And quite frankly, it doesn't solve the problem. It's not helpful. It doesn't move anything forward. But with Jesus, when we go to him as the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, guess what? He's always helpful. He always has a direction. He's spoken that direction through his word, both New and Old Testament. He speaks of answers that are eternal. And the words that he gives are words of perfect wisdom as the wonderful counselor. And the words that he gives redeem the time, not just today, but forever. A wonderful counselor gives you words of eternal life. And therefore, when Isaiah said, there will be a son who will rule for you. He will be the one and all of the government of all of time will rest upon his shoulders. All of the leadership that you need as a child of God will be present in his life. And he's in control of it. He is one who speaks eternal truth, eternal life, and perfect wisdom to his children. 
And quite frankly, many of the times that we do not experience God redeeming our time or our lives or our circumstances or the challenges that we face is because the voice that we're listening to is not the voice of the wonderful counselor. The voice we're listening to is the voice of our favorite politician, you fill in the blank. Or our favorite celebrity, you fill in the blank. Or perhaps at times even our favorite pastor or preacher, fill in the blank. Or our best friend or family member or social influencer, whoever it may be. And what I have found so many times is that when our answers are limited to this time frame, we miss out on the words of the wonderful supernatural counselor who gives us the words of life, always redeeming our time. That's a title given to Jesus. And perhaps right now in your life, what you really need is a wonderful counselor. One who's in control that way. Of whatever it is you're walking through. The second name given to Christ. To the Messiah. Is mighty God. And this one very clearly differentiates. The child that would be born. As the Messiah. As the Savior. Mighty God. Because no one can claim that. No one in humanity. I mean. Okay. Could they claim it? Well sure. But just watch them a little bit. And then you realize. Nope. They're not God. Neither am I. The title given to this Savior is very specific to this Messiah, to this child. This child is going to be God. Now, that would be blasphemous to the religious leaders of the day. And if you named your child God, this child is God. Well, then that would have just not fared well for you or them either. So this person being spoken about has to be exceptional. And just as the title, the name, Wonderful Counselor, emphasized the humanity, the closeness of the Savior to be born, so too the title Mighty God emphasized his divinity. It wasn't just the humanity that the Savior would come to emphasize and reach and reflect. This Savior would also have the authority of God. This Savior, this Messiah would reflect divinity. Even more so than humanity. And when you look at the title, Mighty God, what's being said of this Messiah is this is more than human. This is not just human. Yes, he has a closeness, a human factor, but also this Messiah is divine. This Messiah will be Mighty God. And very clearly, there is a connection in this passage back to the book of Genesis also to the book of Deuteronomy, and yes, also to Exodus. The word used here in Isaiah reflects the name Yahweh. And any student of history would know, if you were a Hebrew scholar, that the name Yahweh that's being reflected and used here in Isaiah chapter 9 was the very personal nature of God that was held so holy by God's people in that generation that they wouldn't write it, And they wouldn't speak it. So legitimately today, and I studied this as a part of my training, right, in theology. Legitimately in the Hebrew language, we do not know how to spell the personal name for God. And quite frankly, Yahweh is the best guess. Because they held that name so dearly, so reverently, so holy. The personal name for God. 
that they wouldn't spell it out completely and they would not say it because it was so personal and holy. When you go back and you look through Genesis and you read in the Bible the creation of Genesis, the story, in the beginning it talks about God. God created. So you have this holy, distinct, divine being God created. And then there's this shift. And this shift begins to say, and the Lord God said, Yahweh Elohim. The Lord God said, so the Lord God said, let us make this. The Lord God said, let us make this. The Lord God said, let us make people, right? And in the Hebrew, it's written Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. In other words, it's a very personal, holy reflection of the divine God, but yet he's very close, personal, and involved in creating and redeeming time. Now fast forward to Isaiah chapter 9 and you get this title and Isaiah goes, he will be known. This Messiah, this Savior will be known as Yahweh, the mighty God. All of a sudden we're not just dealing with humanity, we're dealing with the personal presence of God come to earth. The personal revelation of God in the flesh Come to redeem his people. And that's the second name. It's not a human name. It's the divine unspoken name for God. It is his personal name involved in the creation of time, space, and everything we know. So when you go back to Genesis, it is the God who is the creator come to earth in a very personal way. Not just to have made it at one point and to orchestrate it at another point. But to come and be present, very clearly present in the lives of his people. Wow! That is the mighty God. That is the second name given to the Messiah, the Savior. And it's a powerful name. The mighty God, that name given, very clearly emphasizes his power over evil. So if you look at your life and you think of the darkness or your opinion of the world, and perhaps you've been overwhelmed in your personal life at times by evil, or perhaps you feel that all things have gone evil and dark and, you know, gosh, there's no way out of this, the mighty God was born for you. He is mighty because he will triumph. He is the maker and the master of all things made. And he is coming to be present among his people. <laughs> That's what Isaiah is saying about this Messiah to be born. He's not just human. He's divine. He's the mighty, powerful, ultimate victor over evil. And the last thing about that. When you go through Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, it talks about God's people giving sacrifices to God in religious duty and religious service. Isaiah talks about how God's people had gotten hard of heart in their worship of their Father in heaven. And so they were going through the motions and going through the routines. Perhaps like maybe some of us maybe today. Or perhaps how you feel about Christmas this year. Your heart's cold. It's a routine. It's something that's just, there it is, another month on the calendar. And Isaiah's prophecy speaks into that because the mighty God was not dependent upon the people. 
He didn't need their sacrifices. He's God. He didn't need them to bring these animals as a feigned sign of repentance of heart. They were dependent upon him. He was not dependent upon them. And so many times we think, maybe God is dependent upon us. <laughs> maybe my life and my time is dependent upon me. <laughs> and the title, Mighty God Given to the Savior, is saying, no, 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 no. At your best, it's not enough. You are dependent upon the mighty God to redeem your life. And this is a reminder that he was coming to redeem their time. Just like today, he redeems ours. There's a third title given to the Savior, to the Messiah. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Not only is he reflecting humanity... Not only is he reflecting divinity, but the Messiah, the Savior, who comes to earth will be a reflection of eternity. Everlasting Father. Eternal Father. In other words, his rule and his reign is never ending. He is the one who was present in the beginning, before time and space and everything known began. And he will be the one who is there when it all wraps up and completes. And just so that you, his children, would know. And this is what Isaiah would share to them. And I think it's very relevant for you and I today. Just so that you would know, he's not a God who wound the clock up in the beginning and lets it run to a season of completion until it's done. He is a God who is still very present in the midst of time and space. He is the eternal father. The eternal is the easy part. The Father is the personal part. He is the one who is always present. He is the one who will always make the best choice and decision for his family. He will provide at all cost and he will protect them at all cost. He is the one who is the perfect picture who is always present in every season of life for his children. He is the one of perfect love all the time. He is the one who knows what's best when we do not know what's best ourselves. He is the one who comes through for us when we, when we need him to come through the, must, the most. He is the one who is unquestioned in his devotion and his love for his family. He does it perfect all the time. He is the eternal, everlasting Father. The beauty of this title is that the everlasting Father is not bound by our limits of time and space. He's not limited in the way that we are limited, not only as parents, but also as people. He is not limited. He's not bound to show up on our schedule, which usually he does not, because we don't know better. He knows. And he's not limited by problems. Oh, well, that's too big for me to fix. He's the everlasting, eternal father. He can always fix it. There's no problem too big that he can't solve. He is the one who is the father of eternity, everlasting father. And he is the one who is the father over eternity. And he is the father present in eternity. 
And as this title is given to the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, that would be fulfilled with the birth of him in Bethlehem, as this title is given years, 700 years before his birth, and this prophecy is given, it is a reminder to the people then, to the people of the time of Jesus, and to you and I today, God is present with you. The everlasting Father, he cares right now. And he is redeeming your life today. And he knows what he's doing. That's the third title given to the Messiah, the eternal one. Never ending, not bound by space and time. Our protector and our provider, the perfect Savior. And then the fourth and the final name given to the Messiah, the Savior, is the Prince of Peace. Now this one seals it all up because in the passage, in the prophecy, there is a speak, a talk of government, of ruling, of reigning. And this prophecy is given very clearly. It's not just anyone who's going to be born and rule and reign. That's perhaps, again, how the audience then, and most likely how we would read it today, Who's going to rescue us from our problems? How is that going to happen? But this last part is very, very important because it says he will reign according to the kingdom of David. You fast forward to the gospel of Luke. What you see is that when the angels proclaim the birth of Christ, what do they say? He's going to reign in the throne of David. That's the proclamation of the child Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. And what is it a fulfillment of? It is a fulfillment of Isaiah 9 where this talk of rulership and government will be on his shoulders. And it will be perfect and it will be just and it will be righteous. Tell me what government you know today that operates that way. There's not one. You see, when you look at it, and again, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender for you. Um, there's just not one. Because they're all created by humans. But the Prince of Peace, this fourth title given to Jesus, to the Messiah, is very important for you and I as citizens, hopefully, if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ genuinely, by faith as your Lord... Not just your savior, but your king, your ruler. This fourth title is very important because it says very clearly his name will be, the fourth name given to him will be the prince of peace. Do you know what a prince is? First of all, a prince is the second in command to the sovereign. And a prince back in those generations, do you know what a prince served as? The prince served as an emissary of the sovereign, of the king. The prince was the one that the sovereign would send on his behalf to broker terms with the people to whom he was sent. And he would go, the prince as the emissary would go to broker those terms with the people to whom he was sent. He would go to broker them from a position of power, not of weakness. And therefore, the Prince of Peace is sent as an emissary to broker the terms of what deal? What's the deal that the Messiah would bring to his people from a position of authority and power over them? What's the deal that the Prince would deliver? 
terms of justice and strength and rulership and authority, what's the term? Peace. God would send a Messiah, a Savior for his people to deliver God's ultimate terms for them. And they aren't terms of rulership or oppression. He came to break those terms in our lives and in our relationships that way with others. The terms that the emissary, the prince, would come to deliver on behalf of the one with the most authority, the term that he would come to deliver would be peace in your relationship with the king. What else does a prince mean, by the way? Well, when you think about the way that life would work for those in authority, usually in kingship, the authority is handed down to the next person. Watch this. In Scripture, it's very clear that there is the divine, right? There is this holy God. There is this unapproachable God, God the Father, God the everlasting. But then with Isaiah, he begins to say, this God is going to come to you personally. You'll get to know him, talk with him. He will be your wonderful counselor. He will have all the authority of God. He will have been there for all of eternity. He will be there for you. But he's coming to be known as the Prince of Peace. In other words, he's the one coming as the representative. And he's the one to whom all control over the entire kingdom is going to be given. Wow. So when you think about these four names given to the one whom you might call Savior, Jesus Christ, the one by faith that you have received if you've done that, then the meaning of Christmas and the birth of Jesus shines a light into your darkness. It breaks oppression. It sets free. It gives words of life and hope. And it gives us this glimpse that no matter where you are, no matter what you're walking through, no matter where you've been, Jesus, the Son of God, He's always redeeming the time. As the one who was sent to negotiate the terms, God's terms of peace, the Prince of Peace is not just human, divine, and eternal. He's King. He's king whether we acknowledge him to be so or not. He is the king. He is the one to whom the authority has been handed. But the terms of God's redemption require a response. Perhaps you've never responded to the Messiah, the Savior, the King, the representative of God, Jesus. If you've never responded with humility of heart, with authenticity of faith and to say, Jesus, I surrender the Lordship of my life and I embrace yours. Jesus, will you be the king of my life? If you've never done that, then the way that you enter into the peace, the terms that God has for you 
as his child, as his son or daughter, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what your background is. The way you enter into those terms is you have to wave the white flag. I surrender to the king, the prince, the one sent. His name is Jesus. And if you've never done that, then I want to encourage you for real, not out of religious ritual like the people then did, but for real, from your heart to turn to Jesus right now. Together online and in the room, I just want to invite you into a moment of prayer. As we bow our hearts and we bow our heads, if you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking and prompting your heart that it is time for you to surrender to Jesus, then right now I want to invite you to pray along with me something like this. God, you promised. You promised to send the Savior. And he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and today I need him to be my Prince of Peace. Jesus, would you come into my life? Forgive me of my sins. Rule and reign in my heart and create in me a new heart to follow you as my sovereign, as my Lord, as my Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you have done that today, then I want to ask you to make sure that you follow up with us both online or in the room by going to our welcome desk or you can fill out that information there in front of you and drop that in the offering box on your way out. We want to help you walk in that relationship, but before we finish, now, believer, child of God, Christian, I want to talk to you. Four names today have been given for the, for the Savior, for the Messiah, for the one you call Jesus, your Lord. Which name do you need to embrace right now? Do you need peace? Are you at angst and war in your soul over things that you cannot control or you cannot fix? Do you need the peace? of Jesus then this Christmas start right now by embracing the Prince of Peace do you need to know that it is the everlasting Father who has control and authority over your life and your schedule that there is not a moment that he is not at work redeeming your time right now do you need to know that then right now let go of the angst and the stress that you may be feeling and embrace the name of Jesus, the everlasting one, the everlasting Father who cares for you. Do you need to know that he is God? Not your friend. He's God. And as God, he's in control. He's in control of all governments. He's in control of all circumstances. He's in control of every detail of your life. And yes, he is in control of everything that we might know as dark and evil and broken. He's not going to let it stay that way forever in your life. He is God and he is redeeming the time. So maybe it's time to let go of your stress and trust in humanity embrace him as God and then finally maybe today you just need the reminder that Jesus is your supernatural 
counselor, your wonderful counselor. He's way more than a best friend. He can do more than what a best friend can do in your life. And maybe right now, that's who you need to embrace. Father, as I pray for your people, and as we begin this Christmas season recognizing you are a God who redeems the time, then I pray that the names given to Jesus in this prophecy long before he entered the earth will be for us and your children and all those who hear today life as we embrace him, the Son, the Savior, the one who came to deliver us and give us life and peace. His name is Jesus, and in his name, all God's children pray. Amen. One of the things that I have enjoyed about this last year is that God, through you, through us as a church, has been redeeming the time, challenges, circumstances, but he's been God in the midst of all of those. He's been redeeming all that's come against you, us, this family of faith, and I'm thankful for that. One of the ways that we are going to continue to show our gratitude and our generosity is that we are embracing through this Christmas season the Bethel Family House and children who would not have experienced Christmas this year because a lot of people went thin and things got lean. But here at Calvary, because of the generosity and the continued faithfulness and giving that you have done as a church, we're going to be a blessing to others. So as you continue to be faithful in your giving, next week there's a wrap party for gifts. And maybe you've missed out on the opportunity to give gifts or to give financially to support that or to give to support the church. We're doing a party next week. And then that Wednesday night, the 15th, we're going to do a ministry night for them. In the midst of us, yeah, working with things that we have to overcome, we're just going to be the arms the legs, the feet, the hands, the life of Christ to those around us. This is what we're going to do. And let me remind you that happens because you continue to be faithful with your tithes and offerings. Our Christmas offering comes up on December the 19th. That doesn't mean you need to hoard your offering until December the 19th. But December the 19th is one of those meaningful moments where every year we give an offering that does so many things. This year, honestly, it's going to help us catch up on a thin year. And it's going to help us continue to move forward by faith, redeeming the time. Our house, our home, and the lives of the people that we impact. So be praying about that. Ask God about that. And here's the thing. As you go this week, as you listen this week, what name of Jesus do you need to embrace? And next week, I look forward to sharing that fifth name given to the Savior just for you. Until then, may God bless you. May his face shine upon you. May God show you mercy. And because of Jesus, may you experience his peace. God bless you all and Merry Christmas.